The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. I'm thrilled today to have with us Professor Jia Dajong, who is Professor of International Political Economy at the School of International Studies at Peking University. He's visiting us as he's the Arthur Ross Fellow at the Asia Society in New York this summer, and we're thrilled to have him. We're going to just have an informal discussion about the growing misperceptions in the United States about what is going on in China. And in China about what is going on in the United States, Professor Zhao, welcome. What's going on first in China? Well, Do they think our pivot is really intended to contain China? Well, Steve, I share your concern about misperceptions, and lots of people say perception is reality. And then on both sides here in the states and over there in China, where I come from, there is some real. Anger that's building up, or real frustration on both sides. Anger in China, in China and also here in the states, I suppose, at each other. But when you say the anger in China, among whom? This is one of those things that's mysterious to me. That is to say, who are the real individuals and who whose particular interest? But you see, the anger that is expressed sometimes in some quarters of the rhetoric. But then nowadays, more and more so, even average、uh, businessmen or restaurant owners, they start to accept that mystique, that this mystique being somehow America is all over China and、uh, it wants to more than contain. It's probably、uh, use a Chinese analogy, is pointing a dagger at this China that's. Not so well defined either. So it's among the Lao Bai Xing, the the common people. It's getting yeah more pervasive. And what about in the think tanks and in academia? Well, I speak、uh, for some of them because there are a lot of think tanks, academia. I don't generally、uh, either approve of their conclusions,、uh, or sometimes I find fault in the way they do study. Frankly speaking, I think some of the Chinese think tanks are probably part of the source that contribute to the mystique. There is a tendency to overgeneralize, and then there is also a,、uh, this funny, or not so funny, should I say,、uh, competition with each other to theorize just by looking at one tiny development. And by、uh, that said. There is also this、uh, lost in translation phenomenon, not on purpose. Some some phrases in English are not directly translatable and、uh, easily comprehensible in Chinese. Some in Chinese, not so much in English. Such as pivot, pivot, right? Yeah. If you look, but we drop pivot. No, let me go back to that a little bit, just to talk about the translation, not the contents. Okay. You look at the Chinese dictionary. Most Chinese dictionaries tell you pivot has one meaning. It's the joint of a physical part of a machine. It's a descriptive word. It's a material. And then when you open Webster's, you open Oxford, you go on Google, free dictionary online, you can easily have thirteen, fourteen、uh, possible explanation of what pivot. And then, frankly, I started the lost in translation. 
even among the Americans, when you say, oh, no, wait a minute, we have to think about rephrasing the policy because people might carry a religious connotation. Now, that, what is that religious connotation? Pivot a religious connotation? No, that's in one of the dictionary. What? Yeah, <laughs> but in any case. Okay. So, and then what I'm trying to say is that related to what I said earlier, this tendency to overgeneralize, this race to theorize, should I, can I say that there is a good deal of imagination about American intent? Uh, that is. Uh, what specifically are they pointing to? I think, frankly speaking, that they're pointing to uh, three developments. One is the American endorsement of uh, uh, this Japanese approach, not just Mr. Abe, not just revision of constitution, Japanese approach to managing the uh, handling the Senkaku or Gelu Island issues. Their second is the so, like the, they pointed to the president's Obama's visit. Oh, way before, this, way before that. Okay, all years building up. The problem that was kind of the climax. That, there was that, a slow. That it's, co- yeah. it's covered under Article Five of the. Well, Mr. Obama didn't say anything new. Oh, but, no president had ever said that. Right, but that's right. So. That's one. The second is probably over the uh, Philippines uh, in the territorial issues. Most of the Chinese observers I speak to simply say, oh, okay, these things are complex. As one of these reports was done, there were nine dragons that tried to deal with the maritime affairs. And when the Philippines started to put, highlight this as an issue, you have this sort of profound weakness big country is more con- although I don't agree with that particular assessment we should have dealt with the Philippines more uh, squarely on the basis of uh, on over the lines of international law I don't think frankly speaking I myself don't think the uh, Chinese side is that at fault when it comes to discussions of international law you mean the, the refusal to um, but submit I d- to arbitration you the, think the Chinese side should or should not submit by the practice of international law, China is not obliged to participate, either submit to international arbitration or participate, because you have the New York Convention on International Arbitration of 1965. All Southeast Asian countries, with the exception of Laos and uh, Myanmar, have ratified, and China has chosen not to ratify that. And by the way, Japan has not mm-hmm. done that either, so it's not under obligation to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or either to initiate or participate. But what I want to try to say is that Chinese scholars, Chinese diplomats probably should relate to the Philippines along the lines of international law, rather than simply casting the Philippines as a junior assistant to the United States on those so-called geopolitical terms. Now, a third, again, this I think you and I have been in, the, in the, these uh, discussions among economists. I think many Chinese wrongly see the TPP as a weapon against China. If anything, you know, there are a lot of convergence in both ideology, the direction of thinking, and some practice in Chinese reform and TPP. But that's a complex matter. A lot of people overly simplify that. Talk about, you also were said the U.S. has got serious misperceptions of China. Do you want to talk about those? I would say two. I think one of the misperceptions is that it's hard to imagine for us where this American 
accusation of the China that's driving America out of the West Pacific. Maybe there's some crazy rhetoric, but when you look at the capacity, look at some of the policy designs, and even you know, you look at the military engagement. This access denial is more understandable when it comes to you know use of uh, EEZ for military intelligence gathering purpose. But this notion that China is working to drive the United States out of East Asia is too loaded for most of us. Where does this come from? That's point one. I think point two is that somehow a rising China, economically rising, and you and I agree, behind the growth, there are lots of questions about the quality of the growth, investment-driven growth. Well, that's a side topic. But the American perception is that yeah, okay, China is rising and it's taking advantage of uh, America's so-called weakness. So in other words, as if America needed Chinese sympathy in the wake of 2008 financial crisis. I think that's also a misperception. Um, and from the Chinese view, where do you think the misperceptions of Americans of China is stemming from? Is it the same question that I asked about China? Is it the Lao Baixing? Is it the Zhuku, the think tanks? Is it the Congress? Is it the executive branch? Where Where is this coming from? I specifically think it's the Zhuku, the think tanks. The think tanks are too theoretic. They claim to be able to tell you today what the future is 30, 50 years or 80 years from now. And then they say we have to prepare for the inevitable today. That's one. And the second thing in the Congress, I entertained quite a number of uh, congressional research assistants in China. As you know, your uh, committee organizers try to iron out some of the misunderstandings. Uh, frankly speaking, yeah, I have to say, you know, many congressmen really know too little, they speak too fast. And by the nature of being a congressman or senator, you have to put yourself on record. And then it builds up, it gets into the media. But that said, I do believe there is a human side to this. That is to say, you know, language is one thing, and frankly speaking, if the air quality situation in China is better, if the hotel uh, services in China was better, if we had more congressmen taking their family to China just for vacation, rather than to negotiate issues, I think it would probably help. But this, I'm not blaming congressmen 100%. That's what I'm trying to say. Why do you think these think tanks with their experts are coming to the wrong conclusions. You think it's just because they're too theoretical, or does it relate to their funding? Does it relate to kind of who they hire? Does it relate to other? How do the Chinese perceive that? I think on both sides, I think I do know a bit about how these think tanks operate, both in China and here in the States. The competition for funding, the stress, that's one. And more importantly, it builds into an uncomfortably bad cycle. You see, these think tanks come up with a proposition, and they start to talk to the practitioners, either in the administration or in business, and try to ask them and this implicit question, where their projects, their you know, future plans fit in, is this cooperation or competition? They sort of simplify this. It scares away these practitioners. They don't want to be publicly branded as being selling out their national interests. Yes. As a result, these researchers, these think tanks, probably get to know less about what's really going on. And then the, the less they know, the more they want to know. 
And then the, well, the project, so I think, especially on the Chinese side, uh, I do try to relate to uh, both of the academics and the government agencies. I don't really think things are really that bad, but nevertheless, the dynamics is such that think tank work and uh, government work or business work, you don't have a synergy here. But then, like I said, the, the end result is probably a sort of race on the part of the think tanks to say, I'm protecting my country, this national interest, but then those, that kind of rhetorical atmosphere sometimes may even limit the space of uh, choice for the administration or even for some businesses. Well, I want to thank Professor Jha for being with us today and for doing this in English, which is deeply appreciated. And um, we could have called this talk Misperceptions Across the Pacific. But thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy your stay in New York. Sure, sure. This is a great country.